August McLaughlin is a nationally recognized health and sexuality writer, author of Girl Boner and host and producer of the narrative podcast Girl Boner Radio, which has been compared to Sex in the City meets NPR's Fresh Air. Her articles and expertise have been featured in a range of publications, including Cosmopolitan, The Washington Post, The Oprah Magazine, Forbes, Shape, Bustle, and more. (laughs) Known for melding personal passion, artistry, and activism, August uses her personal passion and skills to encourage others to embrace their body's sexuality and selves. Her new book, With Pleasure, Managing Trauma Triggers for More Vibrant Sex and Relationships, co-written by Jamelia Dawson, LMFT, will be released by Chicago Review Press on September 14th. We're almost there. I am so excited and stoked to bring you August, and we're going to talk about her upcoming book. I cannot wait, so please join me in welcoming August McLaughlin to the show. so cool that you reached out now. Thank yeah, you so much. And that's we are, so funny. Because of the pandemic, we're not doing, we have like one picnic thing, but everything else is virtual. So it means so much every, like you said, whether you reach, no matter how many people, it's just, it's so wonderful when people have us on to like share the message. For sure. And the content of your book, I, I've started reading through it is so empowering. So I guess we can start by you just introducing yourself to our audience. A lot of uh, my audience are um, interested in human sexuality or they are survivors of some sort of sexual trauma. So I'd love you to just introduce yourself and your work. Sure. So I'm August McLaughlin. I'm the host and producer of the podcast Girl Boner Radio. And I have a book series called Girl Boner Girl Boner is kind of my whole life now. Uh, I'm really passionate about sexual empowerment, sexual self-discovery, and sharing people's voices and stories. I really believe that stories can Mm. change the world and help us feel less alone and have fun. Um, And so I recently transitioned a bit with the style of my show to make it more narrative. And I weave a lot of different voices together. I have such a great time having you on um, early in my narrative days. And yeah, that's me. I'm also an animal lover. You might hear my squawking (laughs) bird and my half asleep dog while we're chatting. (laughs) Yeah. So I actually discovered your podcast, Girl Boner. I want to say in around 2016, it was actually years ago during a time where I was in a very sexually abusive relationship. And I just felt the reclaiming of my sexuality is so empowering. So I know the story of Girl Boner, but I would love for you to share how that originated for our listeners. Yeah, sure. Uh, So the very first kind of seeds were planted when I was a kid. I was in a really confusing sex ed class that folks still have, (laughs) the kind where you learn scary things and not really anything positive. And I do remember learning that quote-unquote male pleasure was a thing, like it was alluded to, and we learned what an erection was, meaning a penis erection. And when I learned that, I was just blown away. I, I thought, oh my gosh, there has to be something incredible that happens to my body too. And I did not learn anything good. Um, I did learn some things that made me afraid about you're going to bleed a lot, you're going to have cramps, um, which are also, of course, not negative things, but they sounded like it. And so the first time I heard 
the term boner and understood what folks were talking about, I literally thought in my mind, what about girl boners? And so it was kind of this inside joke for me for a long time and this curiosity I had. I did eventually learn more about sex, you know, through experience, like most of us do, and always really was interested in it and enjoyed it, but I didn't realize until my late teens after high school, I moved from my hometown in Minnesota to New York, and I was working in the fashion industry, and I ended up developing a really severe eating disorder, and when I went back home for treatment, I started taking college courses to kind of have something else to think about. And one day in the psychology course, this professor stood before the class and said, today we're going to talk about sex. (laughs) And I had one of those light bulb moments where I realized I had not really ever talked about sex to anyone, not even the person I'd been having it with. Mm -hmm. And I would realize later that that moment was the moment I I stopped wanting to brutalize my body because I realized that there were a lot of damaging messages I had absorbed. I would, had not been informed. I felt this kind of healthy healing rage inside me. Like I want to, I want to figure this out. I want to learn everything I can. And it gave me this new passion and I haven't stopped talking about sex ever since <laughs> it's been a, a long time. So Yeah. And then I became, um, well, at the time I was still in kind of fashion and then film and acting and that led to writing and I, I developed a health writing career and another sexuality epiphany happened. Uh, the one I start my book with, I call it the orgasm that changed my life. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I need to like launch girl boner into the world. And so it started with a blog series, which led to my podcast. And now we're here today. Wow. Wow. I I love that. And I resonate with your story so deeply. I think that's why I was such a fan of your work. Um, We could talk about 50 different things already with the sex education. And I guess we can start there because for so many people, I'm 27. And I think just now, um, more sex positive, inclusive education is being introduced into some curricula. Um, And I actually did my master's thesis on this. And I examined if there was rates of... um, impact of sexual assault rates on college campuses, does that correlate with lack of sexual health education? And there was actually um, a correlation that was found that the less or the more shaming abstinence only education that our young people have, the higher rates of unreported or reported assaults on campus. And that was so disheartening to me because we often learn biology or we learn use a condom, but we don't learn female anatomy, female pleasure. We don't learn bystander intervention. We don't learn what healthy relationships are. So I'm wondering what your experience and observation has been with that lack of sexuality education in the U.S. That is such important research. I love that you explored that. It's so important. So ever since then, and especially since I've, you know, engaged in the work I'm doing now, I... I've spoken to so many people about their journeys with sex education, and I've asked probably hundreds, if not over a thousand people, what they learned about sex and sexuality when they were growing up. And it doesn't seem to make a huge difference whether you are 20 now or you are 
80. There are differences, certainly. You know, I interviewed a woman named Joan Price, who I just adore. She's a sex educator in her late 70s and maybe mid 70s. Um, and she's just she's just such a force of light and good. And she was raised by a gynecologist. And there was no mention of the clitoris in the medical books when she was trying to learn. You know, there was a lot of talk about being frigid back then. There were there, there was there were a lot more problems. And at the same time, some of what she learned and didn't learn is exactly what folks learn today. Um, there definitely has been a surge of purity culture teachings. I think that was, I'm very, very bad with dates, so don't quote me on this, but it was either the late 80s, or I think maybe it was the 90s, when there was this big like commercial business boom of purity culture. Even Disney was involved. Like All these big mm-hmm. companies started like selling these purity rings and- mm-hmm. I remember that. All these- Mm-hmm. You do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it just, oh, it, I remember when I, when I found out about it, when I was a kid, I remember thinking it, something felt off, but I couldn't figure out what I was just like, why would a father and a daughter have this special ring and promise that he's her only man mm-hmm. until, you know, just, there are so many levels of not okay with it. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely still see a lot of problems. At the same time, kids are always more open-minded than adults are. And so kids are much more likely to embrace the gender spectrum and to not judge somebody who doesn't fit into these heteronormative boxes that they might be still learning about. Certainly some schools do have um, more gender education. Sometimes they have a little bit of consent education, but there are still so many states that don't even require sex ed, and they don't require that it be scientifically accurate, Mm -hmm. which people hear that and go like, that can't be possible. Like, why? And it really comes from this idea that they want folks to embrace their religious beliefs. And it gets very muddled because, yeah, you can have your, great, please have your values, have whatever your religious or spiritual beliefs are. Um, But what that has done is create a place where you can lie to people And I know that's not the intent of those programs. Folks are usually pretty well-intended about trying to make sex safer. Um, They're trying to make a lot of folks not have sex, (laughs) which we know (laughs) doesn't work either. Um, Yeah. So it, it's really unfortunate. And yet I have a lot of, a lot of hope too. Yeah, absolutely. So many good points. I have goosebumps because there's no other uh, curricula in our education system that wouldn't be required to be accurate to teach to our young people. So it's just the misogynistic and patriarchal undertone of our sex education system or the withholding of the information, because a lot of states don't even require it. It's just appalling. And actually, um, someone I'm going to have on the show in a week or two, she is a sexologist, I believe, and she teaches comprehensive sex education to young people on TikTok. And she posted the other day that her account was banned. And it's just such a shame because I mean, so many, so much of this stuff is is actually life-saving. And I spoke with someone not too long ago that said she didn't even realize she was sexually assaulted until a year or two after it happened because we don't know the signs to look for. And it's just, it's really disappointing. I personally 
didn't even know there was other methods of birth control until last year. So it's just, and I'm 27 years old. Yeah, and you have an interest in this topic, mm -hmm. and that's yeah, it it blows my mind. I mean, I'm I'm always learning too. It's it's incredible, and you made such a good point about any other topic. Like, imagine if you could teach about digestion and just make stuff up, like some fairy will put this nutrient in you if you, you know, I mean, yeah. like, what is that? It doesn't make any sense. So it's unheard yeah, of. Yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard online when supposedly people are trying to make folks safer by stopping trafficking, which is a whole other topic. Yeah, they, in its own. Yeah. The, the approach they take makes no sense and hurts so many people. But really what they end up doing is blocking sex, sex educators, uh, which is where we get the grassroots information. It's, it's, and it's, so you're right. People get less safe, not more. Absolutely. Even um, if you look at the sex ed systems in Europe, such as Amsterdam, where they're teaching age appropriate, because I think the age appropriate part is so important. We're not teaching five-year-olds different sex positions. We're teaching them um, body safety. And if I don't want to hug, it's okay to say no. But the rates in Europe um, are outstanding compared to um, unwanted pregnancies or STIs compared to the US. So it just goes to show you. <sighs> yeah, I believe that. Yeah. yeah, I believe that. I would love to shift gears and talk about mental health and sexuality because you did mention that you struggled with an eating disorder. I myself battled with bulimia for almost 15 years. So I would love to talk about how eating disorders, disordered eating, body dysmorphia, body image, and mental health can impact our sexuality. Mm. Yeah, it, it gets really complicated because one fuels the other, like a lack of sex education, a lack of sexual self-embracement fuels body harm, which eating disorders are a form of and vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when I was struggling, I initially was diagnosed with anorexia and then it morphed into different variations of eating disorders, which is really common. Um, but I was working in the fashion industry where sex sells everything sexy. I was seducing cameras mm -hmm. and, and ironically, um, I was so malnourished that even my biological sexuality was changing so much. Um, I was not menstruating, you know, I didn't have any interest or desire for sex. Sure. Certainly it, it can take many different forms. So sometimes sex is the one place where you can have pleasure, which is great when you're, when you're struggling. Sometimes the body image challenges are so paralyzing that it's very difficult to relax into sex. Um, I used to have to, I used to have to only have the lights completely off during mm -hmm. sex. I wouldn't let my partner look at me at all. Um, and so, yeah, they're, they're so tightly, tightly linked. And, um, it's one of many mental health conditions that is very tied in, I think, yeah. to what we do or do not learn early on. Mm, yeah. And, and it's sometimes it's hard to differentiate, to know, what the main factor or the leading cause are, because in our society, especially I identify as a woman, I can honestly say that the pressure I feel to stay young, fuckable and desirable for the rest of my life is really taking its toll on me, especially as I near my 30s. We are sold this idea that we have to stay a certain way forever. And as we age, 
our value decreases. So it could be hard to, if you're not feeling sexually confident and empowered in your own skin, how do you expect to feel safe when another person enters the mix, you know? Yeah, it's so true. And I think the the time we're in now makes things so much harder. I mm-hmm. mean, I did not grow up with social media. And I can only imagine the pressure to feel, you know, I need to wake up and make sure I'm selfie ready. I've heard that from <laughs> so many girls, right? Like spending hours before going to third grade. It, it, it breaks wow. my heart that our sexuality becomes something for somebody else. Like I need yeah. to look sexy so that other people will, will validate me, um, which it's set up to be. I mean, it's set up this way. It's not our fault. It's no one's fault who's who's struggling with this. But it makes me so, so, so sad. Mm-hmm. I just, my heart breaks. Yeah. And I would love to hear from you, your experience with the healing through teaching this stuff. Because it's interesting you said that. I had someone say to me a couple weeks ago, they were like, why are you so obsessed with sex? Like, it's all you talk about on your podcast. <laughs> it's like what you study in school. And I was like... I'm really not obsessed with sex. Like, I feel like as, again, um, the gender roles here, right? If you're a male who's having fulfilling sexual relationships, you're looked up on, like you're given the fist bump. If you're a woman that talks about sex and feels like a sexual being, it's why are you so obsessed with sex? And I just laughed because I knew there was like a disconnect. And for me personally, as someone that, had a great um, history of sexual trauma, learning about this stuff, educating others about this stuff, speaking about this stuff is a way for me to heal personally. So I'd love for you to speak to your own experience on the healing. Mm, mm, I love hearing that. And it's wild how this topic is so stigmatized mm-hmm. that no one would say that if you had a show about shoes. Why are exactly. you so obsessed with shoes? Like, stop it. That's weird. Um, and I have had numerous people when I they first meet me and hear what I do and that it's called Girl Boner say, but you seem so nice. Oh, <laughs> like, man. What, oh, my gosh. What does that even mean? <laughs> I know. I know. I can't be nice and also, like, want to talk about sex. Uh, yeah, so my a lot of my healing – really culminated in, in girl boner. Um, but speaking out definitely made a difference. I have a personality that just, it really helps me feel, um, connected and like a sense of purpose when I can do something, you know, positive and not everybody is this way. Certainly if you go through an eating disorder, you never have to get on a stage and talk about it or, you know, talk about your sex life on um, the internet or podcasts or whatever. Um, It just happens to be something that turned out to be healing for me. And so the college that I was attending, um, actually the professor, I was in that classroom, the one who said, we're going to talk about sex today. Um, She actually asked me to give a talk at their college. And I wasn't talking about sex at the time. I was talking about the eating disorder, the fashion industry. And I was still very early in my healing process. Um, but at the same time in my own private life, I was like very exploratory sexually. I was just learning so much about my body and, and that has been a journey that's continued. Um, another really healing thing for me was 
masturbating for the first time, which I didn't until age 30, which was the orgasm that changed my life that I mentioned that really was like, oh my gosh, I need to tell people about this stuff. Not like (laughs) people didn't know what masturbation was, but it just, I was just new. I'm like, I cannot be the only one who is, you know, first of all, I've met so many people who are like, oh my gosh, I I hadn't either, or I still haven't. And it's, it's not super common, but it is, it's common enough that there's kind of this this vibe of siblinghood among us when we're like, oh my gosh, I, I also was a, a late bloomer. Cause you go through like another, like the good parts of puberty. Um, at least that happened for me where you're just like, oh, there's this fun thing I could do all of myself. I don't need to rely on someone else to have a sexuality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I hadn't realized I had been in, I wasn't in an abusive relationship uh, prior to that. I don't think I would have been in that relationship had I, had a solo play practice because what I would do was my quote unquote good girl upbringing. I was like, I could only have sex with someone who might potentially be a husband someday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was like yeah. the way I, I didn't wait till marriage, which would have been quote unquote ideal according to what I had heard. Um, but that was the way I would like, Oh, it's a serious thing. And so I'll save it for real, you know, serious relationships. And so I would end up being horny and end up in a relationship that never probably should have happened. And so that was huge for me. And, and since then, I feel like once I started Girl Boner, I was in a, a really healthy place. Like I definitely was past the, the eating disorder. Um, but still it continues to teach me and I consider healing lifelong for all of us. I feel like it's a, it's a journey we're on and it's a blossoming journey. It's something we don't like heal to just go past a finish line. It's more about understanding more parts of ourselves. Mm, well said. Yeah. And again, so many things that you said resonated with me that we could branch out on, um, especially with this sort of stigma um, for self-play or sel- solo sex, um, especially as my friends that I, other friends that identify as women as well, I remember, or even my own experience, we're often taught that we have to rely on our partner, especially if it's heteronormative sex, to give us an orgasm. And I remember years ago in in high school, um, female masturbation was like frowned upon. And, And one of my girlfriends was like, ew, why would I do that? Like, it's so gross. And there's this dirty, again, going back to purity culture, Um, like stereotype around it where we don't often see that on the opposite side if we're speaking of gender as a binary but it's sort of like expected that you know men are gonna take care of themselves and it's talked about more frequently and with less shame so that in Mm -hmm. itself could just be unpacked for a whole nother like oh my gosh yeah it's it's really incredible. Yeah. And it's interesting because masturbation among, especially among like cisgender men, the conversation is sort of like, it's, it's still a joke. Like people mm-hmm. joke about it. Like, oh, you know, they, they couldn't get, a, they couldn't get anybody. So they have to, you know, mm-hmm. or they can't stop because of whatever they just, everyone does it or you're lying if you don't like, there's all these stupid jokes up there that are not funny. Um, <laughs> and that's not cool either. Like to, to make it just seem like a gross thing, but like what I learned was it's a sin, but, but guys do it anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so I didn't even realize it's like, I almost had this line, this invisible line above my pelvis, you know, like just never 
touchdown there is kind of how it was presented to me. And so I've heard from many people, uh, female identifying people who are like, I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know I could, <laughs> or they, they masturbated, but they didn't know that's what they were doing. Um, I've done a couple specials on masturbation with uh, people who share their own journeys and like their practices and how they go about it. And several people have told me that they were humping pillows for years when they were a kid and they had no idea that was masturbation. They were just like, woohoo, this is fun. <laughs> so yeah, it's, there's, there's so much stigma around it. And I've had folks who are not in the sexuality space when I've done interviews and we've talked about masturbation. A lot of times I've noticed though, ask me questions about like quantity. Like, so how, how often do you masturbate now? And, and I get the curiosity totally, but I also, I'm like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if somebody masturbates once a year or every day or three times a day or every other week or whatever, you know, it just, it's your own, it's your exactly. own. And it doesn't make you sexually cooler. If you do it, it doesn't make you gross if you don't. Mm. Yeah. Also with that being said, something I see often is people asking me the number apparently like that makes it like they assume because of all of the shame and the secrecy around female sexuality that someone asked me weeks ago, I've had sex with X amount of people. Is that normal? And I was just like, Oh yes, anything is normal. Like, Oh, it broke my heart. And, and even when we talk about linguistics, like the language we use, we say flick the bean, um, kitty cat, like, people have such a hard time saying vagina or masturbate and mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's so wild. You're right. And that your number thing is still pretty common. People have the, am I normal is probably the most mm -hmm. common. I'm sure you hear that from people all the time, yeah. many different forms of that. Is this normal? Am I normal? Or the saddest version of that? Am I broken? Yeah. What's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. um, because nobody's, nobody's broken. It's the system that's broken. Yeah. And it looks like you talk about that in your new book, which I would love to touch on, um, because there was some sections I was reading through. Um, one that really strong with me was, is my healing taking too long? Should I forgive? I thought I was healed and just feeling broken. And a lot of my listeners um, have dealt with some sort of sexual trauma, as many people have. So I would love to even just the title with pleasure. What does pleasure mean to you? Mm, that's a beautiful question. Pleasure to me is, it's like life energy. It's something that I am still on a journey with. I'm, I feel like it's, uh, it's a really important form of self-care and healing that gets missed a lot. Mm. And the hardest times for me to connect with my pleasure have been during mental health challenges, which is when they are also the most important and impactful. And that's where the book kind of started was I had this year of, I call it my mental health crisis, but essentially I went through what I later learned was um, a form of PTSD, but I was struggling so much in, back in 2016 mm -hmm. and the probably biggest red flag that nobody asked me about when I went to see, I was like going to a doctor. I was going to tell these, you know, what's, what's going on here. No one asked me about pleasure. Like no one asked me about my sexuality, but no one asked me about pleasure in, in general. You know, are you, are you finding pleasure in the things that 
you previously found pleasurable? Is pleasure, you know, does it have a place in your life? Because the answer would have been no. Like <laughs> the, the deeper I got into that dark space, the less I could access it. And so now I've learned so much, especially from my co-author, Jamila Dawson, who's a sex therapist. She's incredible. Um, but she talks a lot about pleasure being um, generative. Like it, it, it has some sort of like movement within it. So now if I have like a trigger flare or something, recently something that really helped me was because I get a freeze response often when I feel really triggered, where I feel like I can't even move. And I, I thought I have to do something generative. And I just took my fingers and was running them up and down my arms on my skin and noticing that sensation and feeling how that felt. And um, it was soothing. You know, it doesn't have to be these big, grandiose um, gestures. It's something that I think we need to really embrace as as a practice. Mm. I love that. And, and you are not alone, August. I literally feel like everyone I talked to, 2016 was such a rough year mentally. <laughs> It, it was. It was yes. such a hard year. And and I'm so yeah. happy though that now you are utilizing that experience and that knowledge to to help others that so many people have been there, especially statistically speaking. It's it's mind blowing. But I love that answer. And the book you talk and you spoke about PTSD and trauma triggers, how to manage them for vibrant sex and relationships. So personally, I also have the freeze response where I just, I can't think, I can't move. It's, um, it's been a struggle, especially now that I'm in a healthy relationship, not a violent relationship. People that don't, haven't been there, it's hard for them to understand. They kind of just think you're ignoring them or, or something. So can you talk more about what trauma triggers might look like or what they might feel like? Yeah. So they're very individual. And at the same time, there are these common kind of themes and variations or categories, I guess you could say. There's the fight, flight. We hear a lot about fight or flight. You know, there's the, the literally needing to fight it. And that's a very active response. Um, flight, leaving the situation, leaving the whatever is triggering you, uh, the, the threat. Um, there's freeze that you just mentioned, which can also look like dissociation. Um, and then there's the fawn response that we hear a bit less about. It's it's newer in these conversations and that might look like pleasing somebody who is being abusive to you. Um, and so all of those things, and you might have, you might experience all of them. You might experience them at different times. Um, but they're all your body and your brain trying to protect you. Yeah. And that knowledge is so powerful when you have so powerful, when you have those feelings like, Am I broken? Is the healing taking too long? All that stuff to go, okay, this is my mighty brain working so hard to take care of me. That is beautiful. And that once you have that knowledge and you can practice self-compassion instead of shaming yourself for those flare-ups and those feelings, which I did a lot of before, um, what happens is it's not like it just erases these these you know, issues and you'll never be triggered again. But over time, the triggers are less painful and they're less frequent, which is incredible. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I've noticed that, that also, um, 
when you kind of have compassion for your body, everything our body does is to protect us or to help us. And oftentimes these physiological signals that we're getting or when we're psychologically uncomfortable, it's our body sending us a message to address it. So I love that you brought that up and kind of just befriending your body instead of thinking that your body's the enemy, especially if you have a history of your body being used against you. Mm, Yes, 100%. I actually have been thinking about seeing if I can get an amygdala necklace. You know, the amygdala in the brain is when you have PTSD, and not not only if you have PTSD, but this is one of the kind of traits, is you have a far more sensitive amygdala, which reacts when there's a threat or a perceived threat, which is what happens when you're triggered, but you're actually safe. And I know now, because I went through um, EMDR therapy, which was incredible. And I wish, I wish it was more accessible. I wish it was something that was just included in everyone's, you know, healthcare plans, because I really believe it's so powerful. Um, But I was fortunate to be able to, to do that. And it helped me so much. And I, since then, the only times that I have so far had these trigger flares are during PMS. Now, here's one of those other gaps in, especially gender related um, information. There are studies about this, but I had to dig around. I was like, okay, so is this PMS? Is this PTSD? Like what's happening? Uh, I just thought, I always thought I had just had really severe um, PMS for years and years, like emotionally, I'd have like really intense anxiety. And I realized once I had a flare up during my, my PMS time, first of all, I, I researched it online and just went into like Google Scholar and there are studies. There's actually one I'm thinking of that looked at, it was all um, female, female identifying folks who, uh, cisgender women, who had thought that they had PMDD, like really severe PMS symptoms to the point of it being like a mental health condition. And it turned out that many of them actually had PTSD. Mm. And what happens is estrogen affects the amygdala. And when I learned that, I was like, oh, that's so cool to understand. Like once I understand what's happening, then I can have more grace with myself. And at that same time, when I looked back on the months since I had done EMDR, I realized that my PMS has been so like my period comes and I'm like, Oh, I wasn't, I was fine. Like it, it really, I was having these little bursts of PTSD without even knowing it. And it would have been really nice to have a heads up. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's one of those things that we just, it's important. We should know about these things. Amen. Yeah. So many mental health conditions are overlooked. Like when we go to, I, I feel like it's starting to change now, thankfully, but even five, 10 years ago, you'd go to the doctor and mental health was never even addressed. It was just, what's your BMI? Let me take your heart rate, your temperature. And, and psychosomatic symptoms are a real thing. They're so real. And um, I love that you discussed that. And the, just the content of this book is so imperative and so empowering. So I love that. Um, I guess one of my last questions would be if someone is resonating with this, if they find that they need help, what are some skill sets or even coping mechanisms, any tools you've used personally where they can take back their pleasure and get to a place of healing? One thing I would recommend that we talk about in the book is cultivating community Mm -hmm. and how vital community is. So whatever you are struggling with, 
other folks are struggling with too. It could also be something that you find great pleasure in. It could be, I'll use the example of kink and BDSM because we use that. Um, we explored that a bunch in the book with, we have true survivor stories and there were a couple people who found so much healing through kink play. Um, so when you have like a desire or you have a pleasure or you have a challenge, you, you can feel less alone, you know, like you don't have to feel alone in it. Um, that was a hard one for me to learn. And once I did, I was like, oh, it's so great. Whether it's an online Facebook group or it's, you know, there's so many resources to, to build that community. Um, I think that's really important. I think that learning some simple grounding exercises, uh, we have those throughout the book, but you can also find them online or create your own. Just really simple, simple things that you can do when you feel really activated I think journaling can be really powerful mm -hmm. and that could be written. It could be spoken. It could be art that you're expressing your feelings through. And then if you're able to access therapy of some sort, any kind of mental health treatment, I think it's really important to have someone who can help advocate for you. It's really hard to get into therapy. Even if you have insurance, I was just talking to a friend who's having such a hard time mm -hmm they have insurance and she and her partner are trying to get into therapy. And it's like, she called 10 places, eight of them didn't call her back one yeah. called and they're full. And you know, it's, it's a lot of mental energy to just get an appointment. Um, there are also free resources. So if you think you can't afford therapy, just know that there's probably someone who could help you out. Even if you call a helpline and say, Hey, I really, I don't have the funds for this, but I need therapy. There are people who will help you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And even if it is, um, even if an insurance does let us have a therapy appointment still with co-pays, it could be really expensive. So it's definitely can be a challenge, but it is so worth it. And I actually just started EMDR a couple weeks ago. So I'm really excited. I'm looking oh forward to it. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited for I've you. So many good me chills. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's one of the most incredible things I've ever done. Yeah. That's and awesome. I actually was just by chance ended up doing the EMDR therapy. Like the day my, of my first appointment was the day I got an email that we had a book contract offer. And you never know, like you may never get an offer. Right. So, <laughs> and Girl Boner took me, well, it took a couple of years once the book was circulating to, you know, to find a, a good fit for, for me and an offer um, that, that suited me. And so I had no idea, but it just felt very kind of kismet and or mm -hmm. serendipitous or something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really powerful if, if you're able to try it. And I didn't, I would have assumed that, you know, my insurance wouldn't cover it. They did reimburse me for half. So if you do have insurance, it's always worth um, asking. Yeah. And I always suggest to people because the subconscious mind is so powerful. It operates 90% of our thoughts and our behaviors. So even if you can't get to therapy physically, doing that work at home, that journaling, that meditation, even that self-hypnosis, um, the beautiful thing about social media now is that it makes it super accessible through YouTube and other platforms. So um, just find what works for you ultimately. Yes, I agree. I agree. And make sure that you're seeking in safe ways. Um, I'll just briefly mention something we're really passionate about with this book is helping folks understand that someone who presents themselves as like an expert guru, self-help guide 
you need to make sure that that is a safe space for you. Um, unfortunately, there are there are folks out there who some have good intentions, some are just trying to make money. They aren't trauma informed, mm-hmm. um, and and bad things can happen. So I just think it's you know just make sure that you are doing your research, maybe getting referrals, look for red flags. We have a list of red flags in the book, things like, you know, if they make all or nothing claims or you have to sign up today or you won't get a discount, like it feels like a used car salesman, (laughs) like go the other way. Um, And if they're helping themselves more than they're trying to like provide resources, like they're just building their brand, nothing wrong with having a brand. I have a brand, I want to build it, but, um, but it can't be at the cost of the well-being of your folks that that should be your number one. Yeah. And a, a thousand percent and always tuning inward and trusting yourself and listening to your intuition, honoring yourself. Yes. 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 So well said. Oh, I love it, August. Well, if people wanted to check out your book when it does launch and find out more information about you, where can they find you? Yeah. So the easiest place and site to remember is girlboner.org. Uh, you can also Google Girl Boner and I pop up all over the place. Um, <laughs> and the book is called With Pleasure. You can find it on any major bookseller website. Um, and we are sharing about it on Instagram with like pull quotes. And we are using the hashtag uh, with pleasure book. Nice. I love that. I'm so excited yeah. and happy for you. That's really awesome. Congratulations, Aww. August. Thank you so much. We just did an episode for my podcast for Girl Boner that was really moving for me because it felt so, I got to like share Jamila with everyone and like share our process. And so we, I shared bits of our conversation about creating the book, but we also have six survivors that are in the book who talked about their own pleasure practices. So if you're looking for ideas of like, what even is a pleasure practice? um, I would recommend checking out that, that episode. Yeah, for sure. That's so inspiring. And I I know my audience will love this episode. This has been so fun. And I hope everyone checks out Girl Boner because it's been a pivotal um, practice of listening to Girl Boner in my own healing journey. So I'm sure everyone will really enjoy it as much as well. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, August. This is so fun. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to talk with you.